0: Beyond the Bounce back at it again Danny Mac, Jay Prue. this week we have Coach Tim from Fresno Pacific he's going to talk about the stripes he's making in the program some of the disturbing things that's been in the news lately and how he's making an impact in the Central Valley Coach Tim, Beyond the Bounce Danny Mack, Jay Prue. let's go
1: keep, keep, keep the political commentary to yourself Someone once said, shut up and dribble.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bounce podcast. Today we have Tim Beauregard on the line. I hope I just didn't butcher your last name, but I
1: I have always
0: avoided it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: no it's good it's bow like bow and arrow and then regard so yeah you you nailed it yeah
0: i um i i think i had talked to bonner last week and i said hey man how you pronounce his last name and he was like what do you always call him coach tim you know i I stay at words i stay away from words that i have trouble pronouncing (laughs) oh that's funny but hey (laughs) that's good thank you for joining um I have known you since it's going on five, six years now. Um, yeah, since you took over at Fresno Pacific and I played you that year in an exhibition uh, right at Christmas time, which that's right. I said I would never do again. Let my kids drive, drive to a game right before Christmas time, you know. <laughs> but, um, I want to thank you for joining. Uh, you have an interesting story. Um, I have done some research on you. You are one of the most energetic energetic coaches that I have been around what drives your source of energy
1: oh that's that's interesting you know it's just a it's passion I think more than anything right it's 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 authenticity I, I think that's a big big thing for me in coaching is just trying to be authentically who I am every day I think a lot of times as young coaches and I definitely made this mistake when I was a young coach was trying to be something that I had seen work or or model somebody else's coaching style and I think Um, for me, it's just being authentically who I am. And, and, and that's, you know, somebody who's really passionate, obviously, as you know, we've talked about, it's a a love for, for this profession. You know, I I get to coach basketball. I get to be around young driven uh, people every day. And, and I think for me it's, it's really easy to just be authentically myself, which is just, you know, energized and, and, and passionate about what I do. And, you know,
0: I you came and you did a coach's clinic for me, and that energy that we're talking about, it was on full display. And <laughs> someone said, is he like that every practice? And I heard some more coaches say, yes, that is who he is every day. So, Coach Tim, I tried your approach, um, and, and I'm usually a guy with high energy. I think that because of who we are, our energy – may be dispersed in other ways but man I tried your way and I called it positive Pruitt so I was positive about every single thing in the first 30 minutes of practice even if it was a negative I was still positive about it and dude I was tired man within the first 15 minutes of that you know I I, I, I applaud you for having that, that energy
1: <laughs> you've told me this story before and I think it's it's hilarious but you know and it's funny too because <laughs> I I would say you know positive is is probably my my kind of authentic demeanor uh, walking into practice and different things. But it's you know it, you you have to kind of be what your team needs each day. And so you know there's definitely days where I might try the the Coach Pruitt technique or whatnot. You know motivation is is something that's changed so much in the last you know five to ten years. Really, He's used to be able to to peg what motivated your team or, and, and I found that to be a little bit more fleeting over the last handful of years. And so I'll try different approaches, but like, I I think my normal disposition is, is, is positive excitement. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: and like, I'm all about the excitement because, you know, the motivation that we talk about once upon a time, when I was a player, my motivation was not to be told to get on the line, (laughs) you know? So that was always a motivating factor for me. Like, man, I don't feel like running. We've been running all practice, you know? But, uh, to go into that. So where did your coaching journey start?
1: Really? Interestingly enough, it was just, I was lost, right? I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was at a junior college Sierra college up in, uh, uh Rockland Sacramento area. And, uh, I was pursuing, I think my third or my fourth AA, I was a little nervous on to select a a career path because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. So I was studying business, small business management, entrepreneurship. Those were kind of what uh, I enjoyed leadership aspect of that. And then uh, a friend of mine, Calvin Tang and Scott Pizik, they, they asked me to go coach a summer basketball camp with them in Napa Valley. And it was an overnight kind of an extensive, uh, uh, high octane kind of, uh, serious basketball camp. And so I just said, yes, I didn't really know what to expect. I obviously always loved basketball, um, and had done a couple of things with it since I'd graduated high school. And I went to this, this camp and I, I realized pretty quickly that summer, um, that, that there was something that I was really passionate about. And, and so that that first week in Napa parlayed me to going to Canada for a couple of weeks to run camps for NBC camps, which was the the organization that I was working for, and then that sent me to Southern California to work with uh, a friend of you and I, Danelle, and uh, the head coach at Cal Poly Pomona now. And at that time was either at Hope or Azusa. I can't. Rem- I'm sorry, at Azusa or uh, Cal Baptist. I can't remember, but I worked a camp with her, and that camp. I'll never forget it. Just kind of washing over me was, was this, can I do this for a living? (laughs) Can I coach basketball for a living? And she asked me during that week of camp, she said, Hey, have you ever thought about coaching at the college level? And I said, not until right now, not until this moment. And she made a call for me to Fresno Pacific at that point and um, came and told me, Hey, they're, they're looking for, you know, like basically a third assistant, a, a, kind of a stipend assistant and and I jumped on it I moved I moved away from Sacramento and I uh, basically lived in my office I had some friends and family in this area so it made the transition a little easier and and I just dove in with everything I had I wanted to know okay if this is what I want to do for the rest of my life I, I'm not gonna let this opportunity pass by and I think I made four thousand dollars that first year I lived in my office most of the time I worked camps that first summer to to supplement my income and, and just kind of parlayed that into a a lead assistant position there and then and then off to Azusa and Kentucky and full circle back to where I'm at so it's you know they the coaching journeys as you and I have chatted before they're they're all really unique, and I'm super appreciative of mine because it helped me kind of see that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life
0: so where were you at in Kentucky? I spent a year in Kentucky playing my my senior year, so I'm very familiar with that
1: area Where about where you were in Kentucky right on the Cumberland river uh University of Cumberlands and uh Went there for one season, and it was an experience. Uh, I learned a lot. I knew it wasn't for me to stay there, uh, but really enjoyed (laughs) it. Uh, It was, you know, one of those towns off of the freeway that uh, didn't have much, but a, a Walmart and a really nice university. So it was an interesting experience for me.
0: So I take it you were you were single then, right? I was. Yes, yeah. yeah. Was,
1: <laughs> I was able to just I, I mean, I was applying for jobs. I, I think over that, that course of about a two year period, I applied for about 300 jobs. Um, You and I have talked Ooh. like, I, you know, as a finalist at, you know, seven or eight different positions, top five, probably another 10 or 15. And, and it just wasn't working out for me. So when I, and I was applying all over. Uh, the world, really. I was I was open to going anywhere to be able to pursue the passion, and um, was able to land that job. That was actually my first full time job. Was at University of Cumberland for that year.
0: No, and you and you said it, man. It's the grind. Uh, my my journey is a little different from most people. Um, I worked in uh, broadcast television yep. for like over ten years before I started to come back to coaching. But I remember uh, receiving that first coaching opportunity, and I remember telling my wife. I don't want to coach no basketball, you know, <laughs> I'm Like I'm going no gym. I did this all my life in college, you know, but I remember being encouraged by my boss, then uh, Dennis Donaker, sure. and, and uh, Jeremy and Josh Mathis, like going over there with coach Torres. So I went and I came back and I told my wife, I said, Hey, this is what I think I was going to do. Wow. So I get to go. I, get, I found a new energy, yeah. a new love. I had to go to the gym again every yeah. day, you know, and, and people, so people think that we just show up to the gym,
1: and coach like what does a normal day look like for you yeah you know it's interesting I I tell people this all the time and and, you know even your closest inner circle that's that's not with you in your profession like I even say there's certain things my wife will never quite understand about what it is I do and I think that's why you know the the family that we have with coaches and our relationships with our peers is so important because we truly understand what it is we do every day but I'll tell young coaches all the time and and different people that, you know, coaching basketball is probably, I don't know, 10 to 15% of what we do. And maybe in the, in the, in the grind of a season, it jumps up and it's 50% of what we do for certain weeks. But for the most part, this profession is a lot, a lot more of other things. Right. And so, uh, and especially depending on how you coach and what your authentic approach is, but you know, mine is relationship oriented. So I spend a lot of time on, on my relationships um, you know, I meet with every single player in my program for 15 minutes, one on one, every week. We call those weekly 15s, and that's something that I started a handful of years ago. That's really benefited our program and the relationships that I have with my players. And then, you know, you're putting out fires. You're doing the the paperwork, the NCAA, the the practice planning, the film, the scouting season. But a lot of times, it's you know things pop up. You might have five things on your to-do list and and you get through with the day and you go, man, I only got to one because I had so many other things kind of pop up. And when you're fighting for your your student athletes and you're you're invested in their lives, um, I think availability to that at any given point is is vital. And that's one of the things I, I try to to really uh, focus on is just being available to my players with whatever they need. You know, it's an admissions issue. It's a housing issue. It's a financial aid issue that pops up. It's, it's classes. It's being invested in their academics and making sure that, you know, when they have tests and helping them get tutors and, you know, the the many, many other things besides coaching basketball. And I think that's a, a common fallacy with young coaches is how oh, I want to coach basketball for a living because I love coaching basketball. It's like, well, you better love a lot of other things, not just the basketball side of it.
0: No. So I from when you uh, did the coaching clinic with us and um, I took something from you, I tried to take something from every yeah. coach there. So the one thing that I implemented in my program, we call it weekly. Yeah. teams. Um, so I actually, right during the pandemic, I FaceTime yes. with each of my players. You know, it's not limited to 10 minutes, sure. but I just put a 10-minute in there so they don't think we're going to be on there all day. Uh, but I meet with each player 10 That's minutes, amazing. Uh, 10 to 15 a week, and we talk about everything but yes. basketball and but academics because we already have academic yes. and team meetings other than that. And um, I think the one thing about me and the one thing about you and a lot of the coaches that we we communicate with, from Denell to yeah. Bonner, that we actually have real relationships with our players outside of sure. basketball. So then, in return, we are able to coach them, and it not be taken. Personally.
1: Yes. Oh, that's. And so I think that
0: is the biggest thing that 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 you know we all do is like I have a personal relationship with every player on yes. my team, and I have noticed that in you, Denell, and, and Bonner also that you all have that same. How much do you think that happens So for when those tough moments do happen? They know you have a relationship. I right? think
1: that's everything. I think you, you, nailed the, you nailed it right there. I think when you're invested into their lives uh, off the court, you know we talk in our program, especially at the beginning of each season, is we'll, we'll stop practices and we'll, we'll, hey, what did you just say to her? And then I'll go, okay, how did you take that from her? And then, you know, we'll, we'll really get into the nitty gritty of communication. And, and one of the things that, that I've realized and you kind of just said it, and I think it's really important is to, to have your team understand with their communication with each other, but also with coaching staff is there's a time and place in certain aspects of communication. But in in high level athletics, you've got to have thick skin sometimes. And there's not enough time in a game to say, hey, let me talk to you about this mistake you just made. You were in the wrong spot. You might have to really get after them. And I want that, I want that player to player and coach to player. And, and you can do that a lot easier when you have that relationship that they know they care. And so we'll talk with our team, Hey, during practice, I might be on you and it might be a really tough practice. But as soon as that practice ends, I'm joking with you. I want you to come in the office. If you got something you want to chat about, let's chat about it. And, and and I think the best way that it was ever described was one of my assistants said that we will never build a wall between us. We will never build that wall. So if you find yourself building that wall in, between the coaching staff and you, you need to come and write that ship and you need to come talk with us and we can talk about anything you want. You might not like what you hear, so be under, understand that you might walk into my office and, and not like exactly what you hear, but we'll never build the wall between us. We'll always have free and open communication. And, and I think exactly what you said when you when you invest in them outside of being an athlete because there's so much more, obviously, as we know. Uh, then, then you have that opportunity to coach hard, and I think that's an important aspect of it. And
0: I, and I, and you know, me being from the industry that I come from, television yeah. broadcast, you have to have super sure. thick skin. Uh, and, and I try to use the same principles with our programs that I that I use before I got into higher education. And it's like, look, I'm not going to tell you you're doing a good job when you're not doing a good job, but I am going to talk to you and help you. And so we can work together so you can do a good job because the last thing I want to do is give you false hope because when you leave this program and you get into the real world, false hope will get you fired. Especially when you got a family to feed or people depending on you, you know, so I want to educate our kids about the real world life outside of athletics and and what you're saying. And I like that. And I wrote it down. You said you will never build a wall um, between you and the players. And it seems like um, you know, as a country, we have learned that building walls sort of doesn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. And <laughs> and to move on to the next the next segment, this summer, this pandemic has put coaches across America in situations and positions that they have never you could have Absolutely. never imagined. You know, when when I left campus last March, I never thought that I would not be yeah. back on campus yet. Uh, some have went back on. Some have went have not yet. But to the point, during this time, we have had a lot of things go on mm-hmm. in this country and has changed the, the climate. Um, what are some of the things that you have done to keep your young women engaged in in the social yeah. movement, yeah. In, in the team movement, in the family movement? What are what are some of the things that you have done that,
1: you know, you think some coaches make it use? We talked about it. You know, and it goes back to the relationship aspect of it. Like, first, I had to educate myself a lot and I made a lot of phone calls to people. Um, to help me see things and see some of my blind spots. And, you know, I was inspired by, you know, even social media has been such an amazing thing over the last couple of years. Cause you know, and it can be a really negative thing, right? Like, uh, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. We tell our team all the time, but if you follow people who inspire you and bring positivity and educate you on things that you want to be educated yeah. on, it's a really powerful tool. And so I looked at this last, you know, during the pandemic and social justice and so many things going on and, you know, your Twitter account. and Crystal Evans is a coach in our league. Who I, I, I told her last week, I appreciated her uh, Twitter account so much. And I, I had to, for I was forced to educate myself, figure out where my blind spots were. And then again, going back to, you know, my number one thing, trying to be as authentic as possible. I, I talked about it with our team a lot. You know, we did Zooms, we did FaceTimes during the weekly 15s, but also in our team meetings, we talked about it and said, Hey, these are, these are where you can educate yourself we shared websites with each other we talked about it we talked about our team we talked about i called a lot of former players and i asked you know their experiences and and their experience with me, me and our program and different things like that so i you know i think it was it was eye opening for me personally um, i think that it forced certain people to say hey you can't just be naive for for no reason, you, you have to kind of bring things to light and you have to really look at yourself and ask yourself some really tough questions. And, and I'm all about that. That's my leadership approach. Right. And so this summer was, was a great, a great way to, to dive into that for myself and try to grow as a coach and as a leader of young women. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel better now as far as my education and what I know and how I can lead, but we're still a long ways away from, from where we need to be. And, and I think you're right, building the walls and, and those types of things, and we've got to break down some of those walls and we've got to be really open and, and in our communication with people and learning from one another. And, and I've certainly been able to do that. And you and I've had a lot of conversation of just your experiences and, and, and being able to hear some of the stories, I, I think, you know, help people in my situation so much more to understand the world as it is and not how um, I've been raised to see it. So let me ask you this.
0: Uh, I'm going to read a statement and tell me what comes to mind when you hear this. I get a kick out of college basketball players with the word equality on their jerseys. Equality will be every student on campus getting a full scholarship like athletes do. So do so as not to incur debt and frauds.
1: That's What comes to mind when you hear that? Again, I think there's an inner circle of college athletics. Uh, There's an inner circle of college coaches um, that there's a, there's a lack of understanding about what it is. A college athlete is what they do every day, what they go through, what they have trained their minds, their bodies for, um, and the sacrifices that they have made to be a college athlete. And, and I think that, uh, that's something we'll always kind of have to deal with the, the people who don't know, don't know. And, and you and I certainly know. And I think coaches know that being a student athlete is, is substantially harder than people think. And, and, and I think that the sacrifice, the passion, um, using their platform and their voices and their platform to, to do positive things are uh, it's not quite viewed correctly. A lot of the times.
0: Yeah. And one response that I got to that question, what I thought was really good was it's not an athlete's fault that they are being recruited to work during their time in college. And it's changed to reduce debt. And I never I never thought about it like that. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting way to look at this. It's not an athlete's fault that
1: they are being recruited to work. Doing their timing. You college. know, that's and an interesting point because it is it. work a lot of the times, right? When you look at a weekly schedule, I mean, we talk about this with our team all the time. When we're in the grind, we call it the nose to the grindstone segment of our season. You, there's not a lot of other people that would want to do what they do on a weekly basis, right? And, and certainly even the coaches, right? <laughs> Nobody understands really the hours that we put in or the time that we put in and investing. So yeah, that I think that's a really good response to it. Definitely better than mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. No, no, you had a good response too because I I, I had never thought about it like that because sure. you know, I was fortunate enough to play division one. Yes. Uh, it was a job. Um from being dressed and ready at 4.45 a.m. to weights, to class, to film, to weights, to conditioning. You don't have to not going home for Thanksgiving to not go maybe one or two days for Christmas Day. It is a job that, you know, I have talked to many and they was like, man, I don't know if I would ever. I, I enjoy my
1: time and I love yeah. the experience. You know, it's interesting, too, is that it's it not anymore. an entry level job. Right? You know, so people can get an entry level position at different places and 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 call that their their job or their work and and whatnot being a college athlete that is not an entry-level position it starts years before with investment of your time and your and crafting your skills and and parents a lot of the time investing into that same thing financially with their time all those different things so it's not an entry-level position it's a lot of work that goes into being a college athlete at any level i mean the the percentage of athletes from high school that go on to be college athletes, as you know, is, is extremely small. And so um, definitely not an entry-level position. So yeah, I I agree. So um, it was
0: the shot of the statement heard across the world last week where we had someone that says, quote, Mm. guys, we have to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation." Mm. i can't have anyone leave the plantation when you hear that statement
1: how does that make you feel yeah, i mean just gutted a little coach, bit right as as i think person. when you hear that and and it's a peer in our industry and you know a lot of the coaches we don't know personally but we look up to what they've done and and how they run their program from afar but when you hear something like that you just gutted a little bit you're you're gutted for the players um you're you're gutted for that that sentiment that verbiage coming out um verbally in that situation and you just think about how that affects you know players that I've coached in the past and currently coach and 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 a word like that how it can hurt on such a deep level and so yeah I was gutted and and um yeah didn't didn't feel great to hear that and you know you think about your position as a leader and and how important it is in our industry to to really, to not say things that can hurt people so badly, just words, and, and, and yeah, it was it was gutted.
0: So you and I, we have we have re- uh, recruited and coached diverse groups of kids. That's just who we are and what we do. Um some years and other our teams may be more diverse than others sometimes with sure. the schools that we're at. It just depends on who can get in and who cannot get in. It's not it's not nothing against anyone. It's like, yo, these these yes. numbers and these scores that we need are not black and white. You know, they are what they are, and this is what you have to have to get into our institutions. Um but with that said, we you and I have had the liberty of coaching Asian Americans. And to see what's going on now with the social injustice and the hate crimes against our Asian American community. You know, what are some of the things that you may talk
1: to you know, your I, Asian American Again, I think it, it it's conversations that we try to have with our whole team. Uh, my team, to me, and I can just speak about them, and I know other coaches feel the same way. They're so much smarter than me in so many ways. <laughs> so I, I love hearing their perspective and asking them and then just trying to you know, gain their perspective and educate them on the world that we live in and the biases that we have in different areas and and the challenges that they will have to battle with their race, their ethnicity, their religion, their just being a female, you know, those types of things. And so I, I love more than anything to bring up those conversations with our team and to hear their perspective and make sure that we are creating an environment where we can talk about those things openly and freely and help educate each other. And so, um, you know, th- there's just, there's no room for so much of this stuff. And I hope and I do feel like we're moving in a, in a better direction. I, I think we're moving in a positive direction, but we still have so much work to do. And I think one of the best things we can do is openly talk to the people in our circle about these things, and get all the different perspectives, because I certainly don't have all the answers. Um, and, and I'm learning more and more from the people in my circle than I, than I can teach them.
0: And, you know, coming around when all this happened, I had a lot of coaches contact me and say, hey, you know, with the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, like, how did you address this with your team? You know, and I actually feel like I didn't have to address it, but it wasn't a rush to emergency to address because with, um, you know, me being who I am and, you know, I have had some and I do have. One of the yeah. most diverse teams in my conference, and probably in Southern California. Yeah. At no matter what school, these are conversations that we have had every day. It's like, hey, we don't look like any other team in Southern California. Um, be yeah. mindful of your actions, even if you don't mean anything about them. The wrong person could take them the wrong way. And yeah. it's just conversations that we we have every day. And, and getting into that space is like you just sure. said, if you have this open line of communications and don't pull walls up. It's yes. not a need to hit the emergency button on the wall when things happen because you're already Well, I'll in tell you too. It, it, my with, growth with in that because
1: I listened to you and Bonner talk about that and I really right? And I I think my growth through this and what I really had to take away was we have that open space. We talk about everything, but I needed to talk about certain things that didn't pop up every day. I don't think I've used that space as well as I could have. And that was me looking in the mirror going, okay, I have these relationships with my team, these young women, this diverse community that I've coached for years. Am I using our culture and our ability to communicate on all sorts of topics? Am I using that in a way that is beneficial for what's going on right now? And, and I had to look in the mirror and make sure that we were doing more in that in that area Um, And so I appreciated, you know, even that conversation between you and Bonner spurred me to really, you know, view things through a different lens. And, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's so important, but at the end of the day, if you have that relationship and you can sit at a table with your team and have conversations about anything, it definitely makes it a lot easier when things pop up to just kind of plug it into what you already have pre-existing with your communication lines.
0: And I, and like you, I always tell my team, hey, you'll be mad at me before yes. I'm mad at you, because uh once I leave the gym, it's in the gym. Absolutely. I don't take it out I don't take it out of the gym. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a good thing that, you know, we all could do as coaches. Like, hey, once, once it's over, it's over. It's like once that and I always tell my team this. Once that officer pulls you over and writes you that ticket, he's not yeah, gonna yeah. be like, Oh, my bad, I shouldn't have gave you that ticket. I'm gonna take it back. And so I say, hey, once that referee says foul on number thirty-two, hey man, that's your foul on it. The re- the referee is not going to be like, oh my bad, I made a mistake. Can you please remove that foul from number thirty-two? And <laughs> and yeah. I try to make that analogy to my kids all the time. But but shifting gears into this final
1: transition.
0: So where I'm are you from, um, originally from?
1: I was born and raised in Bakersfield until seventh grade, and then I moved to. Uh, bass lake which is just north of fresno about 45 minutes uh just a little south of the gate to yosemite national park and so that's where i went to um finished up junior high and went to high school and lived up there my parents still live up there so yeah just right up the road it's where we go do our team retreat every year we'll go up to the lake we'll take over my parents house in the woods and and kind of go on hikes and do all kinds of team building activities. so it's kind of cool that that i get to share that with our with our team each year but yeah that's that's the original place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're and Central Valley is, born and you raised. know, it's it's funny because it's corny but I say it all the time is this was a full circle kind of where my heart was the whole time and I never thought that I was going to have the opportunity to come back to where I started coaching at Fresno Pacific and and get a chance to to lead the program um but I'm I'm so fortunate, I'm so blessed and and I'm I'm really committed to to this area and the Central Valley is um, uh, is an amazing place to me. So I'm super happy to be here and, and kind of full circle.
0: So yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, I've done a little research on Fresno Pacific. So I was reading something that said it used to be a, some that type of incorrect.
1: plantation back in the day. No, I've never heard that. Okay. I just know, you know it, what it started about? off as Fresno Bible okay. School, and we bought the land for that. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure okay. the super history of that, but I shouldn't say incorrect because maybe I don't know, but that's definitely beyond the scope of my knowledge.
0: No, no, I was just poking around and I had found, sure. you know, how you
1: see things online that could be true and
0: could not be true. So I was like, that would be, that would be interesting because I was like, I had never seen would be a, yeah, um, no. a plantation in the middle of the city, <laughs> in, in, in the city. And I had also said something about maybe a Again, on your never, never seen that or heard that, or but
1: now I'm going to go search for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if, if you can find that out, it was on one of those myth websites okay. about universities. So if you can find that out, be sure to let me know ab- about that. So what's upcoming? What What do you have coming up? Uh you know, you played this year, you competed, you had a good year. What What do you oh, What do you rate yourself? Question. What do you rate your team I, you know, through getting through at this? At the pandemic? end
1: of each season, I'm never quite satisfied, and uh, and I spend the first couple of weeks of going what went wrong. Even in a season, you know, we went seven and one in league, won our pod, and just played the games that were put in front of us. We had 16 games canceled. Uh, many of those games canceled on game day or the day before one of them after the four hour bus ride and sitting in the parking lot. We've just had a challenging year, but we played the games in front of us. We went seven and one, we won our pod. Um, but you know, I, I spend the first couple of weeks just going, okay, we got to get better. And, and my biggest drive is I'd rather be great than good. And, and, and as simple as possible, not simpler is kind of a quote for us. So we just try to, what can we shave off? What can we be better at? What can, what were we good at this year that we can be great at next year? So we dive into the numbers, we dive into a lot of film. um, And we just try to figure out, we, we compare, you know, every year that I've been in charge of the program, where are we, where we've progressed, where have we fallen off? And so, you know, I'm looking right now at a, at a sheet of multiple statistics from this year and things that we can get better on for next year. And so, We've already had some coaches meetings. We'll, we'll start with our workouts with our players this next week. They're finishing their two weeks off. So we'll get into some real specific areas. We need them to improve and we'll get on the court with them. And then our coaching staff will continue to, to meet and really get into the nitty gritty. I mean, we spent we spent four hours last week talking just about offense. we will got another one of those probably to do defense this week. And we just try to push forward. So, you know, hopefully you can do a little bit of recruiting. We were fortunate enough to sign three early in November. And so we're, we're kind of wrapped up, but 2022 becomes a really big year for us. we got to obviously continue to recruit. That's, that's kind of the the cloud that always follows you. You can never stop doing that never stop focusing on that. Um, but we, we just want to be better. And I, and I think that I'm so appreciative of the people that we've recruited because they feel the same way, right? They're, they're never quite, uh, pleased with what happened. And we've had, you know, three historic seasons for our program and we're not satisfied. We want to win the Pac West. We want to make a West region. Um, and, and so it's all about, you know, the energy and the focus that we can put in towards how do we grow our program year after year? And we're kind of in the thick of that right now.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, to, to to wrap it up and let you get, cause I know you got some big plans today coming up and I don't, I don't want to spoil those. So, when coach Tim is done coaching, what do you want to be known for? Uh, when someone says, "Oh, man, coach Tim was legacy,
1: a legacy, man. That's such a good thing." I have heard you ask that question a couple of times. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> topics in in when I got my masters in leadership development was the law of legacy, and I think it, at a certain point it, positions of leadership, it's hard not to kind of think about what is your legacy. And and, you know, I think for me at the oh, end of the wow. day, it's a relentless pursuit of excellence. Like I, I feel I have so much room to grow as a coach and as a leader. And and I don't ever want to stop that. I think the day that I that I stop my growth as a coach and as a leader is the day that I should stop doing what I'm doing. And so I, I wanna be known for just pursuing excellence and then helping my team and, and, and the people that I get the chance to be led by as well as lead pursue the best version of themselves every single day that's that relentless pursuit of excellence is just be getting a little bit better every single day um and and so i'd like to be known for for that is pursuing excellence and and being relationship oriented you know at the end of the day i'm gonna have this this line of of former players and coaches and friends in the industry that uh that i've had the chance to spend a lot of time with and grow with and and i think those relationships will last for you know my entire lifetime and that's an exciting thing Oh, I'm in Adidas school. I got you. Nike or Adidas. I think, but I don't. Yeah, I don't want to. But yeah, Adidas. <laughs> <DS. laughs> I'll tell you, as a kid growing up, if, Bert, if I wasn't wearing Bert Jordan of, or Nike, okay. I felt like I was cheating on Jordan. And I still feel that way. Like, I am. I'm so heart and soul <laughs> uh, uh, affected as a as a as a child and, and now as an adult by by Michael Jordan. I don't. I can't wrap my head around Adidas. I just I can't but they've been good to us and and so Adidas. Jordan, yeah, that's just I I think that's my age Jordan right. And 38. I I I remember just sitting in front of the TV and watching Jordan, watching the flu get watching all of it and and then growing up into my you know, adolescence and always having a love, it was always Jordan. And I appreciated Kobe so much towards the end of his career. Um, the beginning, I always felt like he was trying to be Jordan, and I couldn't appreciate that. I was a little too naive. And then, And then it switched that I just had so much love and appreciation for the work ethic that he put into his craft and the kind of person that he was and that he was becoming. Um, the kind of advocate for, for women's hoops. Uh, I just had so much love and appreciation for Kobe. And so, yeah, devastated, obviously still. Uh, uh, Larry, Legend so my dad Kevin grew up Durant. in Boston. So that, that answers that one. That Larry was my dad's guy, Robert Parrish, okay. that whole crew, Mikel. Uh, yeah. So, so Larry, Larry, for sure. And then you just hear the the stories of Larry and Kevin Durant is incredible, but I mean, just the like Larry shooting left-handed for a game for fun. And <laughs> like the, the, the legend of Larry Bird is, is incredible. Yeah.
0: So I was listening. I'm going to let you go. So I was listening yeah. to a clip on YouTube. You remember Arkansas's old coach, right? Um, so he said that back in the day, he was listening to a game when Bird was in, um, when Bird was playing. And he said, we didn't have TV, so we had to follow it on the radio. Great Nolan Richardson. And he was like, he kept hearing this bird for two, bird for three, bird behind the back pass, bird for this, bird for that. And he said, he looked at one of the pictures <laughs> and he was like, man, this brother can play. So so he said, he woke up the next morning and opened the newspaper.
1: Oh my God. And gosh. he said,
0: in that word, Larry Bird was a white guy. <laughs> And then everybody. This was at his Hall of Fame, yeah. and everyone. And Larry Bird was actually there, and everyone in the room just died laughing. And I, I just, you know, it goes back to what you said—the impact that um, he had on the game. So last one, staff. Uh, and I'll Reggie tell you, Miller, I'll Steph tell Curry. you why,
1: because Jordan battled so much with Reggie, and I always had an appreciation for Reggie. But anybody who battled against Jordan, I, I was never going to take their side. So then the link for me the reason I've liked the Warriors for the last handful of years and enjoyed watching them play, I haven't really claimed a team since Jordan retired. And I haven't claimed a player obviously since Jordan, but when he retired from the bulls the the second time, I never claimed a team from them. But when Steve Kerr took over for the Warriors, that was my link. I was like, okay, Kerr is a Jordan guy. I can root for the Warriors. And so obviously have appreciated Steph. And, I, and the other thing, just our sport, right? You think about lebron steph curry these these guys that are incredible uh role models that don't make bad decisions you know growing up and being in the spotlight and and the kind of role models that they are for you know WNBA included and nba for for our athletes i'm just so appreciative so steph i think is an incredible guy and i root for him
0: and so i didn't even ask you this because you come from the same generation that I come from. And, you know, no matter what anybody does, I still yeah. think Jordan will be the all time greatest player. I don't care how many championships yeah. X, X, Y, and Z wins is a uh, Jordan transcended the game. Sure. And I'm just, I I'm was like you, I'm, I'm Jordan, team Jordan all day and everything. But Hey, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for spending time. Uh, we look forward to keeping up with you and your journey as a coach and your journey as a person. And we just, Grateful for all the things that you give back to the game and, and, and that you give it to your young ladies and your your women in your program and, you know, continue being a positive role model for those. that No, I just appreciate you. You, you Man, have anything I mean, else you, you know, want to like end you said, with five years ago, get we, out of here? We
1: met and, and over the years, seeing you out recruiting and, and developing relationships with different people through you and with you and whatnot. I'm just I got a lot of love for you and I appreciate you. <laughs>
0: No nah, man, when well, coaches know me, hey, you call them for me a game and I'm at a lower level. Hey, what how much can you pay me? Can you give me some rules? That's, yeah. You know, that's the That is hey, the, legend. The, the legend. That's the legend of you. you That'll right, be said at your hall of right
1: up. Wait, some, what you got some for me? Your guarantees over the years is incredible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, that's if you right, don't ask, you don't get. It. That's why I asked you to come on and you agreed to come. <laughs> hey, so thanks a lot. There you have it everybody. Beyond the bounce. Coach Tim, Fresno Pacific. I'm not going to butcher your last name again, but Coach Tim, take us out on your last name one more time. There we go. Beauregard. You heard it here first. Thanks everybody you for joining. It.